Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiman. Great being with you here this wonderful afternoon. And indeed, as is the topic being talked about with all the shows this week, we're going to talk about Tisha B'Av that's coming up. And we'll continue on the theme of what we talked about last week, which was regarding personal grief and difficulties coming over um, how to comfort the bereaved. So considering that it's not only something personal relevant that I just went through myself, and I'll share with you some insights of what I heard from fellow friends and from my own experience, but also considering how appropriate it is since now we are in the nine days. And uh, in essence, this is a difficult time, not, you know, for all Jews, because here we are, in the saddest week of our history, the, every year we commemorate this time as the nine days. And, of course, it commemorates all the sad events that happened in the past. But our sages talk specifically about the practices that we have to commemorate this. And I guess the underlying question to make this practical and relevant would be, You know, these are many major events, but they all happened so, so long ago. And the question is, if you look at many other nations in the world, suffer tragedies or disasters. And indeed, they probably go through whatever process of grieving. And within a few generations, the they they find some kind of healing. So there must be an appropriate amount of grieving, which a people endures and then Move on. Why are we still mourning for the destruction of the temple? How could our hearts authentically grieve events which not only did we not experience, but our grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents have absolutely no memory of? It happened so, so long ago. And so to answer these questions, I'd like to explore the legal definition of mourning on Tisha B'Av and hopefully we could apply it to our own lives because, indeed, sadness is one of the fundamental, powerful emotions in the human experience, which we discussed in previous weeks. And it's essentially our soul's response to misfortune. To, ex- to experience grief is a very deep, soulful experience And indeed, it overwhelms our intellectual capacity. So, of course, sadness could be very intense. And it's commonly understood that time actually heals our wounds. And no doubt, being a few weeks away from Shiva, already the pain is not as raw as it was previously. And this is one of God's blessings. Without time and the distance that it places between us and the unfortunate events... We would never be able to move on from mourning and grieving to get on with life. Jewish law recognizes the healing effects of time. And so we have to acknowledge the various stages that we discussed previously that we talked about an onen who's in the first stages of mourning before burial, then from internment through Shiva, which itself was divided into two periods, the first three days, which are more intense than the remaining four and then there's Shloshim. And then as the year moves on and time heals, and that is the Jewish process of mourning. 
on Tisha B'Av, we actually observe some of the common practices of mourning. For example, we sit on a low stool and we wear non-leather shoes. At the beginning of Tisha B'Av, we don't even wear tefillin in the morning. But ultimately, it's a different experience if you look at the Tisha B'Av observances versus our versus a personal one who's mourning for a personal loss. Now, at the end of the day, one could say that, well, Tisha B'Av is different. We're mourning for a temple that was destroyed so long ago, and perhaps if you're reading the Kinos, we include many other calamities that befell our people. But still, why is it that there's no limit on the number of years on how long one mourns for the temple? Now, we often see sadness obviously as an unfortunate but an unavoidable part of life. We all have our ups and downs. Everyone's got their days when they're doing better and days when they're not so good. And though it may be an integral part of the human experience, if we were given the choice to be spared the emotion, I wonder, curious, would we consider it? You know, it's hard to see what benefit comes from that painful, negative, emotional experience but truth is it is part of the way God made us and like everything else in life sadness created by God and so we have a responsibility to discover what's the purpose in sadness why do we have it in our lives how could we use it properly and to answer that I want to share with you a verse from Proverbs Mishlei where King Solomon says Bechol etzev yeh which means that in all suffering, there has to be some kind of benefit. You have to see the silver lining. King Solomon, Shlomo Melech, the wisest of all men, he's telling us that indeed sadness is rough, it's difficult, but there has to be a benefit that comes with the sadness, with the pain and suffering. Anyone who studied Tanya knows that in the book of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Zaman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad Chassidus, explains this concept that there's a difference between bitterness and sadness. And he goes on to explain that if there is a benefit that could come from it, meaning a person doesn't get into this space where where they're in this uncontrollable, uh, weakened, tired, weighed down by the difficulties of life, right? Sometimes people get into that state. And as I said in previous weeks, if a person is in any kind of chronic depression, then they should certainly seek medical attention to try to resolve it. Hasidic philosophy alone will not do the job. But where Hasidus does come in and tells us is that if our sadness, for whatever reason a person is going through difficulty in life, is able to spur them on, is able to serve as kind of a catalyst to channel their, their sadness in the right direction, then they could become better people. And we have to realize that the good thing is that a person is able to transform the sadness into bitterness, lethargy into action, if we recognize that opportunity. And this is a profound concept that's explained in Tanya, that when a person is troubled perhaps by whatever difficulty they're going through, and they're able to do a little bit of self-scrutiny, and they analyze, why am I going through this? What's going on in my life? Then there's a tremendous benefit that can actually come from it. So, Tanya basically tells us that we're able to utilize 
the sadness to something that could actually spur us on to become better people. We talk about the month of Av, it says in Shulchan Aruch, actually the Mishnah says this, Mishanich Nas Av, that when the month of Av begins, we decrease in joy. So, obviously from a very simple point of view, we know the Halacha tells us multiple observances of practices, we don't take haircuts, we don't go to concerts, we don't listen to music, even this week we don't eat meat, we don't drink wine. There's a whole list of things that we're meant to do to decrease in our joy this month. But Hasidus tells us a deep, take it a step further. Hasidus tells us that Mishanichnas Av, when Av comes, Mematin, how do we decrease the joy? <laughs> Sorry, how do we decrease the sadness? The Simcha with joy. Now obviously it has to be a genuine joy. It has to be something. That's why during this week a lot of people have the, the custom to uh, do siyumim, to conclude tractates of Talmud study. In fact, this week was a tremendous celebration worldwide in the conclusion of the Rambam study cycle. So, the Talmud is telling us that when it comes to sadness, the Talmud firstly is giving us specific limits. The Talmud is telling us how to be sad. It gives us specific instructions. Right? There's a precise extent that is carefully laid out by the sages. And that limit prevents us from overly, excessively being sad because we have the rules of how we're meant to be sad. On Tisha B'Av, you sit on a low stool. You wear the non-leather shoes. We abstain from the various things that we're meant to, not just eating and drinking. So we know what we're supposed to do. But here we have an interesting thing. The notion of a healthy purposeful sadness. As I explained before from Tanya is that sadness could be a good thing if you could see the silver lining, if you could see the benefit that could come from it. So Tisha B'Av seemingly is a time for mourning. But there is an interesting thing. Firstly, if you look in the book of Echa, although it's a very sad book describing the prophet Jeremiah's uh, prophecy of of destruction, of what happens to Jerusalem, his anguish that about the punishment brought upon our people, that they didn't listen to his warnings and all the other things that are described in the book. And one could perhaps feel despair at first when going through the book. But what is the concluding verse? Hashivenu Hashem Elecha Venashuva Return us to you, Hashem, and we will be returned, renew our days like old. And so here, again, instead of ending in a sad note, we conclude on a positive note. And in fact, the custom is that we repeat that verse a second time because we want this to spur us onto positivity. So again, we're seeing this idea that indeed, the book is a very sad one. And we're not negating the mourning that we read about, the sadness in the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. We grieve over the destruction of the temple. We're fasting. We're, we're, we're observing all of the practices that are meant to make us sad on this day. But we don't settle for a depressing sadness, a dejection that saps us of our energy. On the contrary. The, the purpose of Tisha B'Av is to tap into that bitterness that 
Tanya describes that brokenheartedness and to spur us into action, that we should do something. And in fact, the the Shulchan Aruch says, The custom is to speak some words of comfort after the words of mourning on Tisha B'av. So, and there are other customs. Some ladies wash their hair in preparation for the coming of Mashiach in the afternoon of Tisha B'av. And the Baal Shem Tov taught that we can't just be sad. Indeed, yes, of course, Tisha B'av is a sad day. But we have to be motivated to become better. It has to inspire us that next year there should be no Tisha B'av. And since we're before Tisha B'av this year, let this year be no Tisha B'av. But that's not just going to happen on its own. It's not just that we anticipate redemption. We have to precipitate. We have to do something to make it happen. That's, of course, up to us. So then you could see the purpose and the sadness. So again, the idea that we discussed is that we need a, a, an approach. On the one hand, one is sad. One sits shiva when they lost a loved one. And on Tisha B'Av and during these nine days, it's a time of sadness. We mourn for the destruction of our temple and all the other calamities that befell our people. But our grief is not unlimited there are limits to the to the bitterness, and it is supposed to be purposeful in a way that hopefully inspires us to something better. That how do we decrease the sadness on the month of Av? It is only it is by increasing in joy, and for that I have another fascinating insight that I want to share with you. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiedman. Great to be with you here this wonderful afternoon. And we've been talking about the sadness. I actually started off talking about my own personal uh, grief and bereavement mourning for the passing of my father a few weeks ago. And then wound up talking a little bit about Tisha B'Av. And I do want to get back to what I, I wanted to share with you, some ideas that I gleaned from the morning experience. But before that, I wanted to just get to a message of, of joy, uh, an encouraging message. And so I'd like to just conclude this concept and idea because we spoke, we spoke before that we know that as a human being, we're, we are, last week I think it described that we're lunatics. Why are we lunatics? Like the moon, we have our ups and our downs and we often feel contradictory feelings. Sometimes we are happier, sometimes not as happy. And that's just the way of the human being. In fact, some people are happy and sad simultaneously, and there could be reasons for being bittersweet, so to say. Well, here we go with Tisha B'Av. I saw a very interesting insight, and I think it's worthwhile sharing it with you, because when we finish, for example, a seum this week, we have a tremendous celebration, and it always has been a joyous occasion of celebration, especially during these days where we... we specifically take an active stance to experience joy in the do- in the days of mourning. So this is strange that where we have on the one hand celebration and on the other hand mourning, sadness. How do we have both together? So it's interesting that there's actually a halacha, not everybody's aware of this, but it says that in the on the second day of Yom Tov, outside of the diaspora, outside of Israel, many holy righteous people are, are accustomed to experience some bit of sadness that they are distant from our holy land and that's because we don't have our temple. So on the one hand, they're joyous because it's Yom Tiv. On the other hand, they're sad because 
they have to keep a second day of the holiday, not because it is biblically mandated to do so, but because we're in the diaspora, we are far from our Holy Land. And to contrast that, it says that many have the custom that the beginning of Av, as we mentioned, we do siyumim, we conclude tractates of Talmud, and many people, in fact, even eat meat and drink wine at these celebrations. So the question is, why are we doing this? Why on the happy day do we have an element of sadness? And why on the sad days are we dafka? We are intentionally doing something to, so to say, bring happiness on a tragic sad day. And I think this is perhaps a uh, illustrative of the human nature. Of course, we're sad. And this week, I was with a dear family friend of ours. We lost a dear friend, Lorraine Fink. And on the one hand, it was very sad because she's a good friend and we miss her very much. On the other hand, while we are mourning her passing... We could also celebrate her life achievements. What a wonderful person Lorraine was. How she raised a beautiful family. How privileged we are to know her sons and her grandchildren. And what wonderful people are. She could derive and shep such nachas, be proud of them. So yes, the month of Av, on the one hand, is a time of great sadness. We know about all the calamities and, ha- and sad events that happen. But we also look forward. You get into your car. And you have the windshield, which is a big screen. You better spend your time paying attention, looking forward. But at the same time, we have a rear view mirror. We look back at what we no longer have. We look back as well. You have to look back. And so, on the one hand, we look back at our temples. And we mourn their destruction. We look back at the tragic events and we're very sad about them. But at the same time, we look forward. We realize that the best is yet to come. There's Mashiach lying, lying ahead of us. And so there's what to rejoice. There's what to celebrate. And we got to, in fact, look forward to those celebrations. We got to look not just Zeichel but not just to remember the sad destruction of our past, but also Zeichel Mikdash, to look forward to a temple that will be rebuilt speedily in our days. And so the simultaneous joy and the sadness of the holidays and of Tisha B'Av, that's why in the afternoon of Tisha B'Av, the women do have a, a custom of washing their hair, of getting ready. Because, you know, when Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, and his brothers told their father he was dead, there's a very interesting thing. The Gemara tells us, you can read it in Rashi, actually, in the Chumash, in Parshat Vayeshev, that Yaakov refused to be comforted. Yaakov would not be comforted, he wouldn't find solace. And why is that? The sages explain that he could not be comforted because Joseph was still alive. And one cannot be comforted while their loved one still lives. And in that sense, Tishabav, we have yet to be comforted from the destruction of a temple that happened so long ago because the temple's not dead. Of course, the bricks and mortar of it have been destroyed. But the essence, the spirit of it, is one that continues to endure within us, and we know that it will be rebuilt in our time. So the sadness of Tishabav should not be one of despondence or dejection. Our sadness is some kind of, it's a form of resistance to the cause of our sadness. Our sadness is in a way itself a form of joy. It's a celebration of the fact that the dream of Mashiach and the temple is still alive. Tishabav is our demand for our promised future. When those tears will be tears of joy. 
as we say in Eicha, we say, now oh, I forget the words. What do we say? That it's Kara Alai Mayed. Kara We call it a, a festival. How could this sad day be a festival? Well, that's how it could be a festival when we could realize that there's better days still to come. And so, I'm sure you're familiar with that song. Many people sing, Simchu et Yerushalayim Giluba, Giluba Koloavea, Koloavea. You know that song? Rejoice with Yerushalayim and be glad with her, all who love her. Al Chomatai Chirdavid if Kadet Tishomrim, Kolayom Vecholalayla. Al Chomatai Chirdavid if Kadet Tishomrim, Kolayom Vecholalayla. This song describes the joy that we have for Yerushalayim. And the Gemara tells us something interesting. Kol Amis Abel al Yerushalayim. Whoever is sad and mourns for the destruction of Jerusalem, will merit to see its joy. But one who cannot find within them the sadness to mourn for its destruction, will not merit to see her joy. Well, obviously, what does this mean? On the one hand, we're speaking about the joy of Yerushalayim. On the other hand, there's the sadness. Well, the Chassam Sofer explains that our mourning itself is actually a form of celebration. When we mourn for Lorraine, when we mourn for our loved ones, it's an indication that their story, that the story of Am Yisrael is not over. That we are like in the book of Lamentations, the Echa that we read on Saturday night. We're not finished until we find the comfort at the end of the story that Hashiveno Hashem that we are going to return, and we know we'll return to the magnificence and glory of Yerushalayim when the temple will be rebuilt, and then of course we'll have what to celebrate there. So indeed, yes, there is what to celebrate, and we have to acknowledge and appreciate that. You know, the Munkacher, the Mincha Saluzer, great Hasidic master, who lived in the previous century, he shared a profound, profound, beautiful teaching. And he says, why is it, he asks, that when the month of Adar comes, we are told, Adar, when the month of Adar comes, increase in joy. But we're not told any way how to increase the joy. Yet, when it comes to Av, to Tishabav, we are given the specific instructions of how to be sad, how to mourn. And indeed, he says, that's because joy should have no bounds. So yes, indeed, when Adar comes, just celebrate, infinite celebration. When it comes to the sadness of Av, there's a limit to how the sadness is to be expressed. There's a limit to how we are to actually experience that sadness. And so I think we touched on this last week from personal experience that indeed, when we are going through whatever personal tragedies, we have to limit the sadness. Whatever difficulties one has, one has to limit it. And if one needs, one can seek professional counseling. One can seek a medical professional and do whatever it takes to limit the sadness. So the thing is, what about us who are not in mourning? And I want to share with you that 
obviously, I will state this over and over again, if someone's going through chronic depression, then they certainly need to seek medical professional help. But if it's not chronic depression, like somebody sitting shiva, somebody's mourning sadly for the loss of a loved one, then the rest of us have an opportunity to help comfort the, the bereaved during that period. And in fact, Maimonides tells us, mitzvah say it is actually an obligation for us, just as we have a mitzvah to visit the sick, we have a mitzvah to console and comfort mourners. So we have to know that it's something important to do. You know somebody lost a loved one? Go pay them a visit. Help alleviate their pain. But we have to know and understand how to go about it. Because I could probably write a couple of paragraphs on some of the strange things people tend to say when they visit others. Maybe it's, in, I, I doubt it's intentional because I think if people realize what they're saying, they would never say it. You know, when they say, at least they're in a better place now. I mean, th- that's so annoying. And I say it with that annoying voice because it's, it rings in my belt, uh, head when, when people say that it's, it's so strange. We gotta just be careful with the things we actually say to others. So, I'd like to take a few moments to go through some of those and some of the ideas that were shared with me by others about how we could actually provide comfort. What is the Jewish way to comfort someone who's mourning? And I think it's something worthwhile discussing. So let me ask you if you've ever been to visit somebody who's in mourning and felt some kind of discomfort and unease at a shiva house. And maybe you yourself, I know I have said things that afterwards I thought, oh, what did I say? I mean, that's ridiculous. So sometimes we say something, and perhaps there are things you said that are effective, and I'd appreciate if you want to share them with me. I could share them here on the broadcast with others, or perhaps something that you know is totally ineffective and, and perhaps detrimental and we should avoid saying. So I would say the first principle of comforting someone is not what you say, but rather just being there. Just simply being present. I think our presence during this sad time is itself comforting. The knowledge that I have loyal friends who care about me and are there for me through good times and the bad times, I think that in itself is a consolation of sorts. It's so comforting. And sadly, those who are absent, those who are silent, those who don't in any way acknowledge who aren't present at all, sometimes that silence indeed is deafening. So it's important that we could be there for others. And we'll just spend a few more moments talking about how to be there for others. I'll share with you a few insights from my personal experience. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back here to Salt Salam Rabbi Ari Kivan. And we are going to wrap it up here today with a few insights of my experience of Shiva and uh, perhaps ways that one could help alleviate the mourning of another, ways to uh, bring comfort. Last week we talked about the comforting words of Hamakom Yenachem Etchem, that we offer solace, that Hashem is the ultimate comfort to others. And uh, we discussed that last week, so anyone could tune into the podcasts to get the insights. Actually, maybe even been two weeks ago, but... I will just share a few more points. Like I said before, silence is golden. And if you have nothing to say, or if you think what you're going to say won't make sense, then just don't say it. It's your presence that really makes the difference. And the main reward for comforting somebody 
is the fact that you're there for them. That's the main benefit, actually. The empathy that you express during these moments, even if it's without words, is what counts. So that is really, you walk into Shiva house, just be there. Just be present. That's actually what the law, what the halacha states. Now, of course, every mourner reacts to the pain differently. Each person has their own way of dealing with and handling it. What may be a comfort to one person might not be to another. So again, that could be a challenge in its own right. As we discussed previously, people deal with pain differently. So I will just share with you a few basic points that I think are uh, relevant and important. The first thing I would say is, Sometimes I've seen shiva homes where people telling jokes and lightening the mood. You don't have to lighten the mood. Mourning is important unless you feel that it's absolutely essential that we break the sadness. Maybe sometimes that's necessary. But other times you got to know that it's not a time to joke around. You don't have to entertain the mourners. You don't have to distract them from the pain. This is part of the process of what they're going through. So that's number one. Don't try to lighten up the mood. Shiva is not a party. The point of Shiva is not to avoid the pain, but to process it. And you could help the mourners process their pain, right? They might laugh at your jokes or participate in the conversation, but I don't think that's going to help the healing process or assuage their pain. So that's number one. Another point is that you can't philosophize you can't philosophize the, the purpose of visiting mourners is to comfort them, not to teach them. So there's an appropriate time to discuss the philosophic response to death. And that's what we have done extensively in our discussions over the last few weeks. So maybe there's a time to discuss that, but that's not really the point of Shiva. It's not about philosophizing. Okay, the next thing is, um, I'm just going to tell you some things that I've heard and I would recommend that, you know, you don't have to say these types of things, such as, were you there when they died? I don't know that is relevant. Or did they die from, from the cancer or the chemo? Or did you know in advance? Or was it sudden? A lot of people sent in all these different comments. Did they have life insurance? I mean, is it your business? God only takes the good ones. Again, is that something that you feel will really comfort the ones who are sad by the loss of their loved one. You don't have to say at least they didn't suffer or you need to accept or don't. Don't say those things. Who are you? And also, somebody the other week was trying to tell me why their husband's loss, why, why her husband's loss was worse than my losing. I, I accept it. It was worse. But I really don't think it's right. Maybe, you know, I'm actually easygoing. But I don't know that everyone else is. So I don't think it's right for people to compare losses. Each person deals with their loss in their own way. And especially during Shiva, the mourner is focused on their own loss, not on yours. So just be there for them. You don't have to discuss even the cause of death and, you know, how it could have been prevented. Okay, the cause of death is absolutely irrelevant at this point. And unless you are a malpractice lawyer and you're going to help them somehow win this case and bring justice to the world, again, I don't think it is necessary. So to conclude today's discussion, ladies and gentlemen, I would say the important things to talk about during Shiva are the discussing the life of, of, the, of, the, of the person who passed on and the positive qualities and achievements of 
the departed, and that actually is the benefit, and that's the purpose of going. When, if you want to say something, you want to speak, that, of course, helps the mourners to focus on their loss. It directs the grief from a passive depression into what we described with Tishabav into active mourning and to commemorate the loss of the temple. So at the same time, it hopefully subtly shifts the focus on the gift that life that was. You got to focus on the gift that they had on their life rather than on the person's gone, but rather to see how we could how we could perpetuate the memory of their loved one. So to me, I think actions and words on obviously of what the way to commemorate the person's life is the best way to do so. And with that in mind, we're going to have to cut it right here. I wish you all a easy and meaningful Tisha B'Av fast. And please, God, we will only know of good times and make it meaningful. Tap into the moment. Be there, and please God, it will be a time of celebration in the future. Stay tuned for Fresh Thinking Up next with Rabbi Ari Shishler. He has a wonderful guest speaker from the Pesach Retreat, none other than the Kabbalah coach, Shimona Tzakarnik. So stay tuned for that up next, right here, only on 101.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul.